Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Today we're going to continue our series in Luke chapter 7 and chapter 8. This series is entitled Following Jesus. And what we've endeavored to do for the, for the time, this, this time now until the end of the year, is to walk through these next two chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And the series is called Following Jesus because we're going to look at what it looks like to be a person who follows Jesus, what those encounters look like with Jesus, the character of Jesus, and how people's characters are changed by Jesus. And, and some things that you should know, because many of you are, are new to the Beacon world and, and, and sort of the way we do things, I want to explain a couple reasons um, why we preach what we preach. First is this, we preach what's called expositorily. So as a church, we believe in reading the whole text all the way through. We don't cherry pick messages and we don't typically do themed series like five steps to wear better, cooler shoes or nine ways to make your wife fall back in love with you even though you never buy her flowers. Like we will never preach those kinds of messages. What we will always do is look at the whole text in context and that gives us an opportunity to understand the original intent and how the Lord wants to work through it in a more longitudinal conversation. Now, it's our tradition as a church that in every spring we do an epistle, meaning one of the letters of Paul to one of the churches that he planted. We've done Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians so far. Every summer we tend to walk through either an Old Testament book or one chapter for another one of the epistles, but every, or that's in the summer, but every fall what we do is the Gospels. And so we've been slowly working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And the reason we do Luke is uh, not only because it's my favorite Gospel, And, you know, if I have to do this full time, I want to enjoy part of it. Amen. But because the gospel of Luke is written by Luke, the Greek physician, whose hallmark in the way that he writes is that he's incredibly detailed. Whereas the gospel of Mark is sort of the cliff notes on on the gospel and the gospel of Matthew is Matthew writing to Jews and so it's all very historical and legacy and prophecy fulfillment. And the gospel of John is is a spiritual gospel. It's really meant to talk about the deity part of Jesus. The gospel of Luke is about here's what happened, exactly what happened and all of the details because he's a scientist and he knows that the details matter, amen? And so we walk through the gospel of Luke looking at all the details because some Sometimes the details have such wonderful clues about the nature of Jesus and the way he wants to love his people. Amen? We're going to pick up our series today in Luke chapter 7. I'm reading verses uh, 11 through 17. Luke 7, (coughs) 11 through 17. I have it here in my Bible, but it's on the screen for you as well. It reads like this. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as they draw near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier, that's the platform on which the man's body was carried out, and the bearers, they stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and he began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Verse 16, fear seized them all, that's reverence or worship, and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole region of Judea and all the surrounding country. The title of our message today is, watch this, watch this. You ever been around a kid who wants to show off? And they're like, okay, watch this. Especially if they're little, they're like a toddler and they're like, you ready? And you're like, I'm ready. And they're like, watch. What'd you think? And you're like, that's amazing. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thank you so much for our time together in this text today. We thank you for the gospels that show us the person of Jesus and the power of his life, his death, and resurrection. Maybe we transformed by that today in Jesus' name. Amen. This story is a, a, an often overlooked story, actually. It's not replicated in any of the other gospels, but I love this story because I think it, it's so illustrative of the way in which Jesus interacts with his people. We're going to talk about three things today before the end of our time together. We're going to talk about the three C's because pastors always love to alliterate. The first one is the compassion of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus has compassion. Then we're going to talk about the commandments of Jesus because there's a moment in here where Jesus speaks a hard truth to the woman. And then we're going to talk about the commission of Jesus, what Jesus does, not just with his encounters and his commandments, but what he aims to do through the life of the people who are following him. Amen. I want you to see that the text picks up in this conversation where Jesus has, has left Capernaum after the miraculous healing of the centurion's servant by word and not by deed. And he's on a journey and he goes to a town called Nain. It's 25 miles away from Galilee. It's small. It's rarely ever mentioned. In fact, it's incredibly out of the way for Jesus, given the fact that he's begun the journey of making his long trek to Jerusalem. And he goes to Nain. And the Bible says that he walks in with his disciples and the crowd that has followed him. And he, he encounters another crowd, but a crowd of a very distinctly different mindset. Whereas Jesus and his disciples are like, did you just see that? Did Jesus just heal that guy? He just said that. Oh my God, the centurion was like afraid of Jesus. The centurion was afraid of Jesus. This is awesome, man. I like walking with Jesus, man. It's gonna be so fun with Jesus. And then Jesus takes them to a funeral. And they walk to the gate of the town of Nain. And as, as is the custom amongst the Hebrews, there's a long processional that follows the immediate family, that follows the recently deceased Jews bury on the same day, walking out of the city of Nain to the cemetery. The scene is one of devastation, not just for the power that comes from death, not just the finality of losing someone you love, but it is also a scene of devastation because the Bible tells us that this young man is the only son of a mother who is also a widow. The word used here to describe the only son is the same language also used to describe the only begotten son of God, Jesus. It is meant to indicate that upon the shoulders of this son rests the hope of all kin. 
And the truth of that is never more clearly understood until you really get a good picture of what it's like for a widow in the ancient Near East. You see, if a wife were to lose her husband, she would be completely and totally reliant on her immediate family to take care of her. The loss of a husband is not only filled with grief, but also humiliation and fear of what's to come. And so when this son dies, with him also dies the very hope that the mother will live. He represents for her her only lifeline to food, shelter, protection from the elements and the men and women around her and the very barrier between her and the shame that says, why does everyone die around you? He is her very closest companion, her kindred, her kinsman redeemer. And now he's gone. And Jesus sees through all of the pomp and the circumstance of the ceremony right to the powerful circumstance of the woman in the ceremony. And the Bible says that Jesus just bursts with compassion for her. I don't think any conversation about Jesus is worth having lest we talk about the heart of King Jesus. Remember that Jesus doesn't need to be in this town. It is out of the way. And yet Jesus, can I say this, always makes it his plan to go out of his way for his people. That's just the nature of Jesus. I want to break something off of your life that tells you that you're a burden to God. Because sometimes you get used to you being a disaster and somebody's like, you should just pray about it. And you're like, are you kidding me? You know how many times I've prayed about this? He is not interested in hearing this. Guess what? Yes, he is. In fact, he wants to go out of his way off the beaten trail to find you in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of the fact that you continue to make the same mistakes again. He loves to go out of his way to express his compassion for people who are hurting. That's the God that we serve. That's what makes him so different from all of the other man-made gods. See, they sit high and judge in anger and in wrath and invite people to change the way that they live on the off chance they might earn his affection and our God sits high and pours out affection even though you and I don't deserve it. He says, I love you. And you're like, I'm a disaster. And he's like, I said, I love you. And you're like, I keep sinning. He says, why are we? I said, I love you. Jesus walks right up to the woman, walks right into the room in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her struggle. I wish I could have been there. Do you read the Bible like I do, which is kind of use your imagination to be like, what did it look like when all of these people were crying and Peter and the disciples were giggling and Jesus marries the two? I bet you that there's a few sour pusses in the group, amen? And they're like, keep it down, this is a somber moment. But I also bet you that there's a few faithful people and they're like, hold on, yo, that's the Jesus dude. What is he doing here? I don't know, but I'm not leaving. He comes into the middle of this moment and he meets the woman, but the best part is this. He comes to meet the dead man. I mean, it's true that Jesus cares about your pain and your sorrow and the way that you suffer, but here's the best part about the whole story is that when Jesus brings his band of merry men They came to bring dead things back to life. 
That's the whole purpose of the story. It's not just that he's gonna change the circumstance of the woman. It's that he sees that there is a problem so great, so beyond the construct or ability of the one from whom they suffer. And he says, you can't fix it, but guess what? I can, and I'm here now. And I wish that I could have been in the room when he walked over to the buyer, the flat, wooden, wide, rectangular base upon which the man would have been laid on soft willow branches or palm leaves so that in his final resting place, he was in a place of resting. It would have been the custom at the time that the the bearers, the pall bearers would have been stationed at one of six points around the rectangle and would have been stationed on a pole that supported the weight, but that pole would have been separated by at least two and a half feet of wood so as not to come too close to the dead body because dead bodies are ceremonially unclean. And if you are to touch it even by accident, you have to be removed from the city. You see, not only is this a situation of sadness, it's also a situation of danger. Because in this time, sometimes, whoa, you've ever been around a season where someone is so sick, it feels like the only thing you want to do is get away from them. These men are charged with carrying this man to his last resting place, but they are careful that their charge doesn't touch them. And isn't that just like us? You, You have ever been so sick? so messed up that one by one people keep turning their back on you? You ever been there? Here's the best part. Jesus has never and he will never do that to you. Now I want to be really honest with you because I lived that life. There was a season in my life deep in addiction where truth be told only three people didn't turn away from me. Amen? Jesus mom and dad. But everybody else was like, dude, (laughs) leave us alone. And it hurt, but it was right. I'm not telling you that I should have been embraced by people. I was an absolute danger to people. I was dangerous for my sons. I was dangerous at my job. I was a liability everywhere I went. And it's true that you can be so sick, so stuck, so trapped in your mess that people don't want to be around you. And the truth is, is that sometimes that's just them setting healthy boundaries. But Jesus doesn't seem to share the same boundaries. Isn't that good? He's like boundaryless. He just, he's rude. He just interrupts every conversation you have. He's messy. You're just like, I'm a disaster. And he's like, let's cry together. I love it. I miss you. Let's hang out. He is not the kind of friend who turns his back even when everyone else does and should. Jesus is ever present. And in this moment, in this story, as the armor bearers are careful, slow, measured, and steady, Jesus walks through the crowd. And the buyer's sits before him and the bearers stop. Can you see it? Jesus' heart just aching for this man has lost and death has ended it and there is no hope but the God of all hope stands and he says, um, and he just touches him because sometimes that's all you really need. 
Sometimes in your deepest and darkest of prayers, you don't get the word that changes your whole circumstance. You don't get the sign that you've been asking for. Dude, Jesus, if it's really you, give me a stop sign on the next road. No stop sign. It's still him. I trust you. Sometimes the only thing Jesus gives you is just the sense that he's never left you. And I want to tell you right now that if you've ever been in that or you're in that right now, that is sufficient for you. The compassion of Jesus is enough for you. His love and tender mercy is all that you need right now, even when you think there needs to be a better strategy. Just him done. Amen. But Jesus doesn't stop with his compassion. He never actually does. It's always enough for you. You could be right where you are, stuck in the same situation you are, same job, same people, same house. And if you had Jesus and his passion and his presence on your life, you'd still be fine, just fine. If he never did another thing, you'd be great. But Jesus is always doing something. What I love here is that he has compassion on the woman, he has compassion on the man, but he does something that's, you know, kind of the challenging part of our relationship with Jesus. This is not just a warm hug, it's a hard word. He says to the woman, as he begins this season, this moment right now in this invitation with him and the people, he, he, he says to her, woman, <laughs> Jesus, why'd you say that? <laughs> he says, do not weep. And right now what he's doing is giving a commandment to this woman. Now, let's just be really honest right now. Have you ever been crying and someone said, don't cry. <laughs> Ladies, have you ever been in an argument with your husband? And you've cried, and he says, stop crying. Has that ever worked? Doesn't it feel offensive? It's insulting. Are you kidding? I got, I'm talking to the right room right now. Husbands, just right here, you and me, just don't even, we're, we're going to get through it. Jesus walks into a situation where he has, the woman has every reason to weep. If there was ever a time to weep, it's right here. Your husband's gone, now your son's gone. She's, she's, in, she's in deep trouble. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, materially, she is in deep trouble. And Jesus walks up and he says, don't cry. In our world, those pithy, well-intentioned, but totally misguided words, they not only fall flat, but they cause more harm because it causes many of us who are in those painful moments to feel completely unseen, totally unvalidated, and utterly unloved. I'm, I'm weak now. Why do you demand that I'm not weak? I, I'm human and I'm hurt. What I need is, is your help. But when Jesus says these words, they don't fall flat. You see, Jesus walks into this situation unlike your unhelpful boyfriend. And he not only sees this moment, but unlike everybody in the moment, he sees the moments to come. 
And he begins to make a commandment to the people in this moment that reflect the moments to come. In the same manner, when he walks up to the dead man on the buyer, puts his hand on him and says to the man, arise, he speaks an impossible thing to a dead figure who can't even respond because Jesus is not looking just at the moment, he's looking beyond the moment. And make no mistake, these aren't just invitations. Please don't fool yourself in your faith to think that when Jesus says, a declarative sentence, it's an invitation or an optional thing. When Jesus says a thing that's true, it is a commandment to be obeyed. We hate that term because most of us only know commandments to be obeyed from the Old Testament, the Levitical law and all of the rules that God gave forth to the Jewish people so that they could live in the world in which they lived. Much of it was just to keep them from dying. But when Jesus comes to give a commandment, his commandment is not how you live now. Oh, the best part about Jesus' commandments is that he's giving kingdom commandments. So when he speaks a thing, he speaks a thing that exists eternally for what's to come, for eternal life, for the days that are yet there. But here's the best part. He said thy kingdom kingdom come. So the commandment that he speaks, even though it seems like it's for the future, he's speaking it right now because you are invited to live now in the kingdom. So when he says, don't weep, he's not saying you're annoying me. He said, if you could see things like I see things, there is no reason to weep. If you could see this situation like I see it, when I tell you do not fear, you would know it wasn't just me encouraging you. It was me telling you there is no fear. I overcome fear. I overcame death. I am now here. And Jesus is saying hard things to you and I every day. Isn't he? He's always saying something to you and you're like, oh, I want compassion. I don't like all that. (laughs) But when Jesus gives a commandment, it's not an oppressive, aspirational invitation saying do this and then maybe. When Jesus gives a commandment, it's almost past tense. Don't cry. I already brought him back to life. It's almost like this. When Jesus gives a commandment, what he's saying is this. Watch this. Can you see it in your imagination? Jesus and his disciples are like, we're in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier. And they come up on the situation that's so dour and sad. And Jesus is like, hold on. Because I feel like Jesus could lead a choir. So I feel like he could really wrap up even the tambourines all in one. And then he would bring them up and down. (laughs) And he would see this processional. And this man and his mother, and it's not that death has taken over to Jesus, it's that the wrong perspective has taken over. They haven't come yet to understand what's really going on. And you say, Pastor, how does this apply to me? I mean, is Jesus going to bring back that which I lost? I don't know. And if he doesn't, maybe what he's really doing in this moment is trying to get you to see for 
forward and beyond this moment to see what he did through loss, what he's done through pain. It's true, many of us will lose the ones we love. Some of us will lose a dream we fought for. Some of us will get to a place where it feels like everything we held dear was nothing and it counted for nothing and it's fallen to the ground. And Jesus brings some things back to life, it's true. But other things die. And yet he's still good. And in and through each one of those things that hurt and that we lose, he still speaks impossible commandments like get up today. Brush your teeth. If you've ever been there, sometimes that's been a really impossible commandment to heed. Make your bed today. I want you to go outside and go for a walk. I want you to stop thinking just about you and today I want you to reach out to somebody who's in pain. I want you to trust me. You see, he's always speaking impossible things into impossible situations because none of it is impossible for him. And he says, I know it looks scary and I know it looks dark, but I came to bring light. Amen. Now, one last note about the emotions of the woman here because I think it's important that we touch on it. I never want you to think that I'm like some pointy-eyed, angry pastor who's like, don't cry, Jesus has fixed it, no more tears. Um, Emotions are good, right? You've been to Beacon at any time you've seen me cry. One time, I... (laughs) I cried up here, and I cried so weirdly, I couldn't stop thinking about it for like six days. (laughs) Have you ever cried? And like, you know, there's been sometimes I've been like single tears, so adorable, right? And then there was one time, I think I was talking about you and the boys, like that. And all day I was just like, God, you're a mess, man. Emotions are God-given, they're totally good. You're allowed to weep. You're allowed to laugh. You are allowed to experience the full range of the emotions that God has placed in your heart. And your emotions should inform you. They should let you know, like, this is a really great day. I feel so good. Or, this is heavy. I feel stressed out. Or, I'm in pain. And I just need a moment to feel it. You're allowed to feel that. You're allowed to let those emotions inform you. But Jesus, in this moment with the conversation with this woman, is teaching us this. While emotions can inform you, they are not meant to instruct you. I'll say it simply like this. Your emotions can't be in control. They can be a part of your experience and give you information to process your experience. But when your emotions are the decision makers, you are in for a very bumpy ride. Amen? I want you to be frustrated. I just don't want you to make choices frustrated. I don't want you to make phone calls frustrated. You're allowed to be angry and sad, but I don't want you to walk into rooms and let angry and sad be more than who you are and God created you to be. Amen? So feel it, feel, but give it to the Lord, amen?
Now, here's this. We're going to close with this. We have nine minutes left because I want you to see Jesus' mission. It's always been his mission. Jesus has compassion in this story. He walks into the room and he touches and he heals and he loves and he cares. And then he begins to speak to those whom he loves. And that should encourage each one of you who's heard a hard word from Jesus. He says it to you because he loves you, because he wants to walk with you and transform you into who he's called you to be. And the reason he does all that is so that you and I would be on mission with him because after compassion and after commandments comes the commission of Jesus. I want you to see this. What happens is that in verse 14, he came up, he touched the man, they stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And immediately the young man sat up and began to speak. Oh, a diversion here for just a moment. Every time the Lord does something in your life, you should be telling people about it. Amen. I meet too many Christians and they're like, well, yeah, if you ever heard my story, it'd be so amazing. <laughs> what are you waiting for? I'm, I'm a pastor. This is what I do. Let's listen to it, man. Why are you waiting to tell people what God has done? When God has done something for you, he's also done something through you and he's just waiting for the world to hear it. He speaks an impossible thing to this man. He says, sit up. The man sits up. The man begins to speak. And then here comes the commission. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I love that Jesus gets down in the muck with this guy. Risks being ceremonially unclean. Risks being ostracized and seen as that crazy rabbi who uh, (laughs) doesn't understand stand how to follow the rules but I love that he not only gets dirty and not only fixes it but the miracle doesn't end at the miracle the miracle is get up and go that way and I want to tell you right now today your miracle the one that God's working in and through your life on an ongoing basis, where he continues to say, arise from the dead that sin has brought you into, when he's trying to get you to be healed from a broken heart and the bitterness that's crept in from previous relationships, when he continues to pull you into recovery and invite you back to be delivered and set free from the bondage of your life, this ongoing miracle that comes through Jesus, it does not end with arise. It starts with arise. It begins with him saying, Open your eyes, abre los ojos, and see me for who I am because I've got a bunch of people who need to see me for who I am, and so I want them to see me in in you. He says, arise. And the man speaks. It doesn't tell us what he speaks, (laughs) but I always guess at that, amen? Can you imagine? How many of you were dead for a half a day? because they bury the same day, right? And Jesus was like, get up. And he was, if it were me, I'd be like, you guys want five guys? I want five guys. <laughs> I don't know what he says, but what I know is that Jesus lets him speak, testify. <gasps> I imagine that he's moved to emotion. Why, why me? And Jesus says, See your mom. See that she's wept. See that you're all she has. Why you? For her. 
You see, your miracle is not even for you. It's, it's for me. I, I need you healed more than you need you healed. You see, Jesus is gonna save you, take you to heaven, even if you still stumble, even if you're still sick. That's the power unto salvation. He will use you in spite of you, but I might need you to get a little bit more than just saved. I might need you to be sanctified so that when I'm struggled, you will have the words of life to give to me so that you'll be the shoulder I can cry on and the arms that wrap around me. The truth of the matter is, is that beyond compassion and commandment, Jesus always gives a commission. There's always a mission between the work, behind the work, before the work. Jesus says, go out into all the world and make disciples. Now, the best part about this is that for the introverts, I talked about that last week, or for those of you who have been raised almost exclusively digitally and online who label that social anxiety, the good news for us is that Jesus' commandment, his commission, is that we belong together. Did you know that? That's why we don't live stream church. Did you know that? We don't live stream church. If you're sick, I love you. Wear a mask, stay home. We have the podcast. But I won't create an environment where you are given the opportunity not to be with us. Us matters. Can I tell you that? There's a person on your row who God ordained to come today to sit next to you so that you could say, hi. And they're like, oh, I just needed that. I need you. We need you. God's commission is to the collective. Our faith is a Near Eastern faith. It's not a Western faith that says it's God and country and do it all by yourself. No, it's God and community together forever and ever. Amen. He says, go to your mom. You look so just ready to serve. <laughs> That's the best part, right? You look ready to serve. He's like, I just came back to life. No time like the present, brother. <laughs> People get saved in church and they're like, give me like six months. I'm like, six months? Get serving right now. Get ready, get working. Bible says that once all this happens, that crowd, remember that crowd that was a little bit, maybe a lot bit stressed, worried and fearful, the murmurings of what was to happen to the widow, the lamentation of the promising life lost to death. The Bible says that once this happens, fear and wonder like a tidal wave washes over them. It says every one of them begins to wonder, could this be Yeshua HaMessiah, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that was promised to us. Could this be here? It says in verse 17, they begin to ask these big questions. In 16 and 17, they say, a great prophet has arisen among us, a title reserved for only two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, the only two prophets who've brought people back to life. You see, you may not know this, but this is not only the first resurrection that Jesus performed, but it's the resurrection he performs in front of people so they realize that he's altogether different than before. They say, holy smokes, this might be something altogether different. This is something special. Not only is it a great prophet, but someone is quoted as saying, God has come to visit us today. I always feel like we're at a disadvantage today. 
we have the canon of scripture, which has everything that we need. But I don't know if you feel the way I do. I wish I could have seen Jesus. Like, I think about this all the time. Like, I wish I could have been there in that moment. When everything stopped and the heart of God poured out of the man, when he arrested even the most vehement of skeptics and the fearful were set free and they said, that's God. I wish I could have been there. And one day, we will. And I hope that your heart just bursts with that promise. That one day, each one of us, I don't know how the timeline's gonna work, but for some reason in my mind, I always think we get to go together. I don't know why that is. But one day, Peter's gonna open the gates. And we're gonna be there. And the facilities team is going to make sure everybody's got what they need. <laughs> LQ is going to have all of our kids rounded up. And one of us is going to go, where's Jesus? And they're going to point to the big bright white light. And I'm going to run. Are you going to run? I'm going to waste all of y'all. I'm going to run to Jesus because I want to know the God who has compassion for me even at my worst, who has the words of life for me that make me my best and has a mission for me to change everything. I want to touch him. I want to know him. And I want you to know him too. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. So grateful for who you are. Jesus, I thank you for this picture of you. So tender, so sweet, so powerful, and so willing to tell us hard things so that we might let go of the fleeting and hold on to the eternal. God, we thank you. Today, Father, I sense that in this room there are many of us faced with grief, faced with fear, faith, faced with this sense that they're beyond help, it's, it's over. And God, I know that that's, that's just not the case. Holy Spirit, right now in this room, I ask that you would reach into the heart of each one of us, that you would begin to pull out those emotions one by one, and that you would say to us, don't weep, I've got it all figured out. Don't fear, I'm in control. Don't you worry, in the end, you win. God, heal our hearts and birth in us a brand new trust for you, amen. 
Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with Lead Pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!